Okay, here we go. Hi, Mike. So it's it's really wonderful to see you again after a yeah. long uh, a long time in which sort of like nothing, but also a lot happened, right? <laughs> well, I mean, it's strange to see you. It feels like I just saw you. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it, although it's been, I guess, over a year since we were yeah, in like this. Four, 14 months or so, right? And it does feel like simultaneously it went by in a flash and also it's a lifetime. You yeah. know, it's a bit, exactly. time has, it's a very strange construct. <laughs> so how, how are you dealing with the situation? Um, well, right, right after, you know, we, we left the, the U.S. tour midway through and, you know, just as every other touring musician was just like, flying home right around March 12th, March 13th. That was like, mm-hmm. that was the beginning of the new now. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was just a, a couple of weeks of, of, of sort of disbelief and, and, and like what party wants to believe that, well, this is just going to blow over. And of course it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, looking back on my, on my recent history of my career and everything, I realized you know, like touring is is was probably around ninety percent of my of my income every year, mm-hmm. and uh, and I had to figure something out. So the situation was such that that uh, it, it, we did a, a, a GoFundMe in order to get a, a, a home studio going because I ne- I didn't have any real decent recording facilities at home. The last time I had. The ability to actually like do multi-track recording at home would have been like eight, nine years before. Mm-hmm, I was a mm-hmm. scam bot at home, and then I disassembled that that rig and never replaced it. So it was time to get a new rig going, and and with nothing, you know, there were no promises that somehow I was I was going to be able to make a go of it. But um, it's actually turned out okay. That that since I've been just been able to record stuff at home. There's been, you know, a fairly uh, consistent, reliable stream of projects coming through that has allowed me to keep going. And that in tandem with the the Patreon account, which I started in in June, mm-hmm. tremendously fun, and I, I recommend highly to any any musician who has like an archive of stuff to share. Um, Patreon is a nice place to do it, and that has has turned into a, a, a real blessing. The combination of uh, the Patreon plus just uh, projects coming through to work on. You know, it's, I, I when I when I put the the rig together, the recording rig, I kind of thought, well, I'll, at least I'll get I'll be able to work on my next album. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've been able to do pretty much everything but that, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And but that's 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 a good problem to have that there's that there's so much work to be done that that it keeps me from doing this uh, at least historically non-paying thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, the sort of the thing of, of you know that that I put most of my heart in and by far earns the least amount of money. Um, but you got to do what you got to do. But anyway, I've been I've been very grateful to be busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've also had this uh, experience that somehow you would expect as a musician to really to get creative when you have time and to um, and 
I sort of had to force myself uh, to do a live stream where I improvised. And then I created something new. But just like the, the freedom of writing, somehow, somehow it, it, I don't know why. I think it's like this, uh, uh, this, this danger that's like over my head, like a sword, you know, that's like saying, okay, you gotta, you gotta have an income in order to, uh, to feed your family. And, uh, and like, like being creative, uh, interestingly enough, hasn't been a big part of that. I mean, I have been creative, had to be creative to make money in other ways, right? But um, yeah, I have to say it is really weighing on me now. And I've actually uh, set up a recording session with a few friends um, for early March, just to, you know, that I'm investing in, just to kind of like get back into doing something creative. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, it, it, it certainly, you know, having this edge of you are required uh, to be creative in order to survive is is that's that's like placing a, a demand on creativity that that can definitely affect the, the dynamic. In in my case, when I, when I get like an idea for something that I want to record for my album, I just have to like sketch it out very quickly. So I have a, a lot of, of sketches in progress, and and you know, prior to all this beginning, I I thought that the album was was pretty much done, mm -hmm. um, but then once I started like investigating the amount of material that I have and the kind of album that I wanted to make, which is turning out to be kind of not an anthology, but it's it's a combination of, of very new music plus. Uh, the, the best of the unreleased stuff that, that I have you know, collected over the last 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I wanted to keep, uh, I, I wanted to continue recording new stuff. It, when once I realized, okay, this album, it, it, at least in the, in the physical realm of CDs, it's definitely going to be a, a, a double CD thing. So now I have additional real estate that I can work with. And, and, and I really, the, the first half of it is all discrete songs, 10, 10 songs which are two-thirds of them are fairly accessible mm -hmm. and uh, the the second half of the album is is going to be a suite of material that is sort of sewn together from a lot of source material that, that I've recorded with a lot of different musicians plus newly recorded stuff that I'm doing at home and the stuff that I'm recording at home is is kind of like the the journal of you know, the the last year in pandemic, yeah, so it's that it's. I, I think the second half of the album is going to be more of a, you know, like a, a study of my my mindset under these conditions. <laughs> that's, that's, um, that is interesting because I wouldn't I wouldn't even know how to how the that music that would describe that state how that would be and I I think like it will be a subconscious thing for me that it will show up in the music but I I couldn't I couldn't and wouldn't approach that consciously at all and I don't think you 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 you, you did that uh, intuitively as well I guess or it, it's it's I mean I it's it's very difficult certainly you know since you know some of my stuff has as lyrics as well there's there's no way to do justice to it without without it being uh, a cliche mm -hmm. with the, the lyrical content which I'm, i i want to avoid so in, in terms of this idea of it being you know just a, a reflection of this this time we're all in um it is an intuitive thing and it's not a thing where I'm, it's it's like it's inevitable you know once i, I get in here 
uh, and I start making music, it's everything is impacted by the the reality of the situation. The idea that you know we are we are locked down here. You know, it's like I'm 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 still as I'm I'm and my wife. We're both real serious about lockdown conditions. We haven't seen it reason not to remain cautious so we're just we're just here at home all the time so the, the, I've never spent so much time at home so that that leads to an inevitable you know feel that that takes over and, and I, I think that when when the when the album is done whether I want it to or not it's going to end up being like a, a, a picture of the this this time and this process mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for for the people that don't probably don't know, uh, we were on the tour together in November and December uh, to 2019, mm-hmm. right? And it was like five and a half weeks or something that we kind of spent together. And, yeah, I uh, got to uh, I got to rehearsal late because uh, because my kid was getting married, so I I showed up to rehearsal like three or four days after the rest of you did. Yeah, and that was a little. That was daunting because you you all had you know your stuff together real well, and I was like trying to find my way with new music, new band, new gear. Uh, you know, just everything was was new. It was the, the first time I'd ever played live with Devin, even after having so much time making the album. It was this is it was it was uh, disorienting in a way to uh, arrive in in the in the UK uh, after. This long flight, seeing my kid get married, and and then just suddenly plunging this completely new situation, mm-hmm. which ended up the most beautiful band and the and the most beautiful shows and the most wonderful touring experience. I have such an immensely fond recollection of that tour, and I'm glad that the that the live uh, album and video exists uh, of the Roundhouse show. Um, But that was—it's hard to believe that that's already 14 months ago. <laughs> It really kind of feel like. <laughs> But you know, when you when you arrived at the uh, and joined us at the rehearsals, that's when everything came together. Obviously, I, yeah, yeah. Um, one question related to that, really, like kind of like a nerdy question. But um, so you you started um, using Devon's open C tuning, uh, I guess before. The tour, so I probably already used it on the album, or well, I didn't do that much pl- uh, playing on the album. Uh, uh, you know, a little bit of guitar playing, which you know, it w- was always very part specific. Um, so it, it wasn't like I had to learn an entire song. It might be just like a little m- moment, like some weird little Zappa esque melody that that Devin wanted it to play, and and uh, and it was just e- easier for me to do it than for him to figure it out. And 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 for for some of that kind of stuff. I, I actually use standard tuning, mm-hmm. um, so my my you know first real uh, uh, time spent with with Dev's Open C tuning was in the you know the rehearsal process at home, preparing for the tour, and <laughs> and and it was de- uh, definitely a, a new new territory for me, just having to rewire the way your mind wants to go when when it puts its its, its hand on a guitar neck if you want to go from this this interval to that interval your program didn't know let's just go from there to there now it's going to be going from there to there or from there to there or, you know everything has changed 
Yeah, it, is, it, was, it was fascinating. And then it's like, okay, uh, got to play a solo on Heaven's End. And that's, that song is in B flat, but it's still the, 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 the strings are, are still the same intervals in relation to one another. So that's, that's an exciting thing. Okay, now not only do I have to feel comfortable in this, in this terrain, but I also have to feel confident enough to improvise in that terrain. And that was that was a, a real challenge, and and I I know I you know several shows where I I played absolute trash in in an attempt to improvise in the, in that tuning, um, so you you just have to like find a, a a you know maybe four or five reliable things that you can do that are that are home based, mm-hmm. and start trying to string them together in increasingly more creative ways, and by the end of the tour. Uh, I, I started to feel a, a, a bit more fluent in this tuning. You know, definitely not like Devin levels of, of fluency where you know he can improvise with, without any uh, hesitation. In fact, I would imagine it would be very strange for Devin to improvise in, in standard tuning at this point, with with all the time he spent with the the open C tune. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, by the, by the end of the tour, I started to feel like, hey, this I'm I'm actually starting to get somewhere here. <laughs> but, after 25 shows or whatever <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting when like when you change tunings uh, the absolute pitch like of each string and obvious position on the neck becomes very uh, prominent again in the way that you think right it's it's less less of a relationship you know relational playing it's more Absolutely. Like, okay, I go to that note, I go to a D, I go to a C, because I know that there's a D there. And then I can find my way around like that D, I can play an F and I can also play a, a B, right? And, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it was very, I, I couldn't ever really think about uh, note names. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was too disorienting for me. So it was, it's all just about uh, becoming uh, comfortable with intervals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and you don't, technically need to know what this note is to know that three frets up is a minor third up uh it's just about wherever i am right now in the in in the world <laughs> that's this is the the center of it all and everything moves around it and it's and it's becoming you know taking those baby steps away from the from the root and becoming more comfortable if i step that way i i know what happens if i step that way i know what happens and it and it, it, it takes a while to but the the thing that's that is nice about that tuning is the the uh, uh, there's a, a continuity, you know, it's just one five one five one three. Uh, so if you know how to play on these two strings fluently, then you'll know how to play on the next two strings because it's the same notes an octave up. And and once you know you you sort of make your peace with that, then it. it it becomes it, it forces you to play differently. Certainly, you know, in the standard tuning, uh, I've definitely played more chromatically uh, and and more experimentally. And in in the in the open tuning, I'm not I'm not confident enough to be particularly experimental. But I did learn how to play a rock and roll guitar solo eventually. <laughs> it's about staying on one string. <laughs> it's like I know that note and I know if I don't leave this string I know exactly what's going on. <laughs> uh, it was fascinating that it, you didn't you didn't look like you were playing a new tuning really like 
I, what I found found so wonderful about your stage presence was like the, it it was as if there was a switch in you. Like you went on stage, you flipped the switch, and there is Keneally, the performer, and uh, it was 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 really wonderful. I have to say, just the energy you have, and and um, and also I was I was surprised how hard you play. Like that, oh, I, I have terrible technique as, as a guitar. <laughs> shit out of the guitar. Um, and, 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 you know, my whole life I'll be, it's a good thing I'm getting older and weaker because it, it, it means I'll have no choice but to apply less strength to the, to the, but yeah, that's, it's, it's because I never had any guitar lessons and I, you know, and, and I just like, I love playing the guitar so much that I just get overexcited about it. <laughs> so I end up, uh, you know, applying a lot of force more than I need to, but, but uh, I've, I've just had to find a way to, to, to work with it. You know? No, that's, that's one way of looking at it. Um, that's one way of looking at it, but may, maybe um, it, it also gives you a very specific sound and energy. Mm. So I, I think I, I would, I've only experienced the way that you play as an advantage for you. That's nice. Thank you. Um, well, I mean, it, it's me, you know, it, it's what I do. And even when I think I'm being lyrical and gentle, I, you know, it often just like comes, comes across as forceful. Like, uh, when I, uh, earlier in, in 2019, when we did the, uh, the, the bizarre world of Frank Zappa tour, um, we played in, in London and, uh, had, you know, Dave Gregory from XTC came out and, and Chris Hughes, uh, was there and Stephen Wilson came out to the show. And after the, the show, he was like, you know, he really enjoyed the show. It was clear to see that he enjoyed the show. And then he said, you know, what I love about your playing, it's so violent. <laughs> like, oh, man. That wasn't, it's not what I'm thinking. I'm not in a, a violent mindset. You know, I'm not like up there trying to uh, Johnny Rotten or anything. You know, it, it, it's, I'm, I'm really trying to make beautiful music, but it, it just, uh, I, it, part of it is just an, an abundance of enthusiasm, like you you say that a switch goes on when I get on stage, and I, I think it does. And it, it just really has to do with how much I love it. It's as I love performing so much that, that it kind of overtakes me, and I and I, but I and I also feel like I I transcend myself in some ways. Like when I'm off stage, I'm all too aware of me and my body and my my physical reality and all that. When I get on stage, all of that seems to fade away, and it, you know, I, 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 I try to just become a, like a, a beam of, of pure matter, <laughs> that is offering itself to the to the moment and, and you know, creative impulse, and, and 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 the fact that we were all wearing in ear monitors and that we weren't. Uh, you know, nobody had any amps on stage, so you know the only sounds that are being generated acoustically are are drums and voices, and uh, everything else is you know electronic impulses being fed through wires. Um, it 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 means that the the sound was so controllable, and I, you know I I had myself hard left and I had Devin hard right, and a lot of my parts were just playing the exact same thing as him which allowed him a, a certain amount of comfort level if he took his hand away from the instrument instrument to point at the audience or whatever that the part wouldn't stop and you know and also he had like conversations with me about how this is 
because you know I play in Death Clock and stuff, but I'm not a metal musician. But there are some aspects to the textures of 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 Devin's music which are metallic in nature, and he's like, yeah, to him anyway, uh, a, a big uh, an important texture in effective, you know, correct sounding metal music is two guitars playing the exact same thing. You know, that's that's really what he wants, and. Uh, and that was it was very satisfying. First of all, I love the songs. I think the songs are so great. So being able to you know phrase my parts in you know the idea is just like trying to just you know slip into that thing of perfect unison, so that when Devin and I are playing the the, the same thing at the same time, it really does have a, a, a strength and a power. And then just like feeding into my mix, uh, you and the, and the voices and the bass and the drums and, and Diego and all of the the, the sounds that he's triggering. It was musically incredibly satisfying, and I I resisted in-ear monitors for years and years and years. Uh, I didn't want to uh, disconnect myself from the energy in the room. This was what I was afraid was going to happen. Um, but you know, once I finally uh, got over myself, and, and I had to start using in-ears for uh, the Frank Zappa tour because we were playing along with recordings of Frank. Frank was playing guitar solos that we had to uh, accompany, and uh, and. You know the whole show is on a grid, so you know we we had to hear a click in order to stay to stay aligned with all the visuals and everything. So, and I and I fell in love with in ears on the Zappa tour, and then I fell in love with them even more on the Devon tour because all of that music was being made in in real time. You know, we it's unusually for Devon there were no tracks. You know, we 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 weren't playing to a click. We were actually just playing, and it was. Uh, it was just such a blast and so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I have to say it was sort of like ear opening to me as well because one of the main reasons why I uh, started or we with Stickman started using India monitoring was that we could have a click if we needed to. Like Pat would throw in a click sometimes, and and um, but then on the on the Devon tour, not to have that at all, but to have that close that closeness of the mix in your ears, like um, that was some, something really special. And I, I, think, I think it's something that is, has maybe become sort of like a, a little bit of lost art, you know, just to play without a click, but you use, but you use the modern technology of Indian monitoring. And in a way, and this is where uh, I had this, this idea of this throwback to, uh, yeah, to like Frank Zappa tours in the late 70s, uh, you know the, the the vibe of people actually playing together for real, and um, yeah, and like when when I, I mean you know I wasn't around uh, back then. You weren't around in the late seventies or not on stages. I don't think. But uh, uh, when people started having personal monitor mixers, like you you had your own mixer to make your own monitor mix. Uh, that that was kind of like uh, uh, state of the art technology back then and. And uh, yeah, so so one question that came up to mind. Um, so in my in my uh, monitor in ear mix, the band was incredibly tight. It was really incredibly tight. Um, however, I have uh, I would be interesting to hear how tight we really were. <laughs> by and and I mean I know that Devin mixed the show and it sounds incredibly tight. And I'm I'm just wondering like, uh, did he have to do anything or? Uh, you yeah you're in the in the moment when you're actually doing the show 
and and I, I experienced the same thing. I thought that, and and I, I guarantee you, we were still we were tight. You know, it, it, it's like, it, and the in ears were a huge part of that. The fact that there is no, you know, there is that moment of of reflection that it takes for that that bass note over there to make it to over to your side of the stage, and and, and wedge mixes are always difficult to really dial in. And you know, there's there's always seems to be something that you can't quite hear properly to the wedge. You know, for some frequency reason it's gonna it's gonna cause uh feedback or whatever so with the with the in-ears you can really customize you can you can really dial it in and and yeah we were tight there's no doubt about it and i think that the in-ears increased the the tightness factor however this is devin we're talking about and he definitely (laughs) likes things to be incredibly tight Mm -hmm. even even given that you know sort of the the brief for the tour was this is you know we're 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 on a tightrope without a net and and he's not using tracks he's not using a click you know this this is a, it was an unusually spontaneous tour for him but you know after the fact once he got home with the with the recordings you know i, I guarantee you he heard he heard all the sort of that probably got got repaired in one way or another (laughs) but when you but when you listen to that to that recording or you watch that that show the order of magnitude show it's definitely live you know it's 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 a live feel and it's and it's it's the same it's kind of similar to what you were saying about those those zappa tours where it was just seeing humans playing this you know mind-blowing stuff uh i think that 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 the uh that the devon tour had a, a similar energy but there was also an incredible a human energy to it, just like uh, the the relationships between everyone in the band, and you know I just feel like the the, the relationship between the band and the audience was every night was was really special and really warm. I was like I was grateful for it every night. The love that people have for Devin is 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 incredibly uh, clear. When you when you go to those when you perform those shows and you look down in the audience, you, you just there's. I get the feeling that people, uh, you know, they're admiring of Devin. They're protective of Devin because you know Devin wears his heart on his sleeve all the time. If something's going weird during the show, he'll talk about it for five minutes between songs. You know, and, and uh, for someone who's so outlandishly talented, he's you know always seems to have like a bit of a seed of, of self doubt you know, when 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 he's he's performing and he's you know he's always taking the piss out of himself he's always uh you know tearing down the, the fourth wall and telling people exactly how he's feeling at that moment um so it's a, it's it's this re- weird combination of an extremely well rehearsed well prepared uh very plotted out show and then this other feeling that it could all just go spinning off the rails at any moment because uh, devin is is sharing every bit of himself every molecule of himself and and if something is not going right he doesn't hide the fact so it's it's uh it's powerful it all adds up i think to a a powerful night of entertainment at the theater <laughs> yeah for me the uh the fact that the the, the audience seemed to primarily be there uh, because of the uh because of the emotional relationship with the music which was kind of i have to say new to me like the audiences I usually play to, they also have some sort of other motivations, which I don't know. Like it's like the innovation they want to hear, or you know, there's there's something else. But here with 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 Devin's audiences, especially, I remember the show in Helsinki, which was sort of for me almost an out of body experience, 
because it felt to me as if I was in the audience uh, during that show. And like, but I could see people uh, like be almost like being so emotional, almost in tears throughout the whole of the show. And that was really something um, that was completely new to me. And um, it was, uh, it was energizing in a very interesting way. It was not, it was not pushing me, but it was relaxing me. And it was giving me some, um, um, I, I don't even have words for that. I have to admit, but but it, it, it was most powerful in Helsinki for you. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember I that show at all? <laughs> uh, my brain doesn't doesn't work that way. Where <laughs> I attach specific events to specific towns. I I play with Brian Beller in in my band. Remembers every show that we've ever done. He remembers the 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 backstage catering. You you know remembers exactly. I don't understand how a brain can work that way. Mine definitely doesn't. I, you know, once I have completed the show, it's like I don't. If I don't call home and tell Sarah right away what happened that day, I won't remember the next day what happened. I'm just, you know, I'm a, a, a I'm like a, a baby boy in the woods. It's just my eyes wide open. Say, oh, what's what's today like? Uh, I, I kind of let go of yesterday as soon as it's done, so I have a hard time remembering. But you know, when you mentioned Helsinki, I did like get a feeling of yeah i think i remember that being special i, mm-hmm. I, although I don't remember what happened but can you like describe i guess it was just the the energy between the audience and the band at that show yeah it really was uh like tears in people's eyes in the first few rows from the very first second that we started playing i noticed that at a number of shows that very emotional members i just think people Devin's fans really care about him mm-hmm. uh they want him to be well, and I, and I think that that's a uh, you know there's a true line with with a, a lot of a lot of performers, uh, especially performers who you know, just share a lot of themselves. I think an audience likes to is 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 more inclined to offer that kind of love and support if if the artist uh, shows that they are being you know honest with them. And you'd you'd be real hard pressed to think of a more honest uh, artist than than Devin. You know, he he puts it all out there and he doesn't hide anything practically. So, it's a uh, it's an intense thing to be a part of. It certainly was on that tour. So, Mike, when you look back on your career, um, has there been like any phase where you were not in love with music? I can't even know. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gone through that. You know, I always knew that that music had my back. <laughs> uh, it, that doesn't necessarily mean that I haven't occasionally been a part of a, of a project that I was not as enthusiastic about. Uh, but that you know, for professional reasons, I I, I gave it my all. But it was uh, you know, I never blamed music for that. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, music is just remains one of the most for me like reliable and and uh, and supportive forces in my life. You know, it's every every time I I'm 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 surprised every time I sit down here and start re- working on a recording. You know, whether it's for somebody else's project or my own, um, just the the. There's always something to be learned, and and it's it's always it. Sometimes it can be musical, or you know, it can be uh, just sonic. 
on the on the on the Devon tour, uh, you know, I noticed just I got into taking the guitar pick and and changing its its relationship to the string go more or less perpendicular. And because you're, you're hearing everything in your in ears, uh, I would just trip out on how how it would affect the sound of everything, you know, at least in my ears, because I was up loud. Um, if, if, you know, twisting the pick that way gave, gave the timbre of my instrument a completely different character. And then as a result of that, it would interact differently with Devin's guitar. And then the sound of those two, two guitars together would then have a different relationship to your guitar and all the other instruments. And I would just like trip out and even just like say, wow, if I do like this, all of a sudden the guitar sounds like a clarinet section. <laughs> and then if I go like that, it's more like cellos. You know, it, it's these are the type of things where even after all these years I've been doing music, there's there's still the capacity to surprise and, and delight me. And, and and that was the thing that, you know, after all those years of resisting in ears, I would never have an experience that specific and and microcosmic on stage if it weren't for the in ears because you can't you can't really assess and appreciate things that subtle, you know, when it's raging out at you uh, through a, a wedge on the on the ground. And I and I I asked myself in those moments the same thing that that you would ask yourself that you're that you were wondering about, you know, how tight were we? You know, we sound incredibly tight in the in ears. Is is it coming across that way? And, you know, my feeling about that is that yes, even it, it, we definitely were like a really tight, well-drilled unit, and it was and it was getting across. Um, but as far as these like very subtle timbre things, I'm thinking as I'm going, man, it's like just as I make the tiniest little infinitesimal adjustment, it changes the quality of my sound so much, which then has, you know, a knock-on effect with the overall sound. How much of that is getting out to the audience? And, and I would, I would I would always just land at okay where's the heaviest sound it like because we just want these these songs to just sound incredibly you know powerful and have a strong foundation and and this even if the music is really fast and intense and shifting all over the place you want every moment uh, unto itself to have as as much authority and power as possible so I noticed a couple of times that when I when I would make these tiny pick adjustments and look out at the audience, it goddamn had an effect on the on the way the audience was was receiving the music. I would like to me, it's like I would do that little adjustment. It would sound heavier to me, and I would see like a more passionate response from from people in the audience at that moment. So you know, when I when you think about that, when when you know details that minute can have such an impact. You know, it's just like science or, or any other, uh, you know, endless discipline. Music has so much; it contains so much, it, and I, I can't imagine myself ever getting tired of it. You know, that will that would be really sad if it ever happens because it's pretty much the only thing I can do. Says <laughs> <laughs> a specimen without that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so the, the the details, I think, really always always have the biggest impact um and and i first like became super aware of that once i started building my own guitars sure. and and i noticed that like like anybody can buy or 
let's just talk about regular electric guitars okay like, like any anybody can buy, build a guitar like that and like, i mean what is the difference between a squire strat and uh, a fender strat right you could say oh it's exactly the same but then like you see okay the things that you don't really see when you're standing like three feet away from it you get closer then you see differences Right, you start seeing differences, and then somebody can say, okay, different materials. But then you pick it up and you 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 touch it, and oh, it feels different, right? And then you start like it sounds different. So, and but you're getting you're getting like like the details or the the you know it gets smaller and smaller. But the the more you you zoom into the differences, the more uh, impact they have on what comes out of uh, what our, comes out of the instrument. I find, and. Uh, yeah, it's 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 those it's those very very you know tiny tiny fractal type details where where it just seems like um, that that's how you learn right it's a, a constant educational uh, process where you might you know when you're a kid and you pick up a guitar and it, that's a, a beautiful blissful uh, period because it's just you got a guitar, a cable, and an amp, and you go, and and you feel like, okay, I've just you know reinvented the world here. Um, but then the more you do it, uh, if if you are uh, you know a person who values learning in your life, which I think is the meaning of life <laughs> is to learn, um, I, I I think that it's it's uh, yeah, the more you drill down into those details, and it doesn't have to be like a tech oriented thing because I'm not a tech oriented. Person, I could never do what you do. I could never design, and 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 you know, it's there's so much about about the mechanics of, of instruments that are a real mystery to me. And I think I've I've preferred keeping that kind of idiot savant uh, relationship to this stuff. Um, but for me, just like get you know putting in in ears and 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 getting much more involved in in the way it sounds when a band truly phrases together, and and appreciating the impact that that has on the music i feel like it kind of oh, another example I, I i'm not like a, a trained vocalist i'm a real intuitive vocalist and with my own music i would always just like you know when i'm making records in the studio i work on the vocals i want them to sound nice i want them to sound in tune and stuff but in the 90s when i would play with with beer for dolphins it was it was almost more like a punk approach where you know, I'm playing these really hard guitar parts, and I'm singing at the same time. I thought it was it was okay enough to be able to do anything. You know, it's it's like if I'm if I'm playing and singing, the, the actual quality of the vocal performance was not as not as much of a concern to me as just the the act of the overall performance. And I thought just just the the, the fact that I was standing up there doing all that stuff was sufficient. Um, but after a, a couple of decades of singing my own songs uh, on stage and and not enjoying whenever I would hear the recordings back, you know, it's like it's 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 one thing to 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 be in the moment, but especially you know now with with the the internet and YouTube, it's like moments aren't are no longer fleeting. Moments are are captured like a like a wasp in aspic and 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 it's and and displayed as you know placed in a gallery for all to to see for the remainder of time you know of course it's always the show of the tour that goes up right up on youtube uh so i now take it much more seriously uh when i perform um 
but I also at the same time it, it's like I, I I approach performance almost from a producer angle, and that's where in ears really came in handy because I could really assess the overall sound of the band and my place in it. Uh, without the in ears, uh, when it's just like a, a a a raging rock and roll performance with energy just like spitting out all over the place, flailing. Um, you almost have like a mental picture of like a, a, a fire or an explosion or something. And you're just you know, throwing shrapnel out at the audience. But it, it's so much more powerful when you can really craft a beautifully performed thing with the vocals sounding good and, and, you know, everyone playing, you know, it, it, when I say playing in unison, it's not about, you know, being a machine it's just about understanding that when when certain things are phrased together, it 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 becomes it turns into real beauty because there's that that resonance that happens. Uh, it, it's it's like the 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 right note played at the wrong time is the wrong note, <laughs> but the right note played at the right time is, is is the absolute right note. And and so when everybody is really humming along together in that group mind kind of thing, and everyone's phrasing together. Everyone's singing in, and uh, and it just you just get that hum, that buzz of everything resonating together, and then that's when you also feel like you're resonating with the forces of of the universe, right? That's like, all right, we're doing the right thing here. We're doing what's supposed to be done, right? Right at this moment. For me, that that has that was maybe the most challenging part of of being in that band is like uh, trying to almost kind of like having having to get rid of my way of hearing time um which like i i think i have a very particular way of doing that when i when i can play in a small in a small band because then i can just do that if i'm the lead guitarist i can i can push in a, into a certain direction right with a, with the way where i place the notes but playing in a 10 piece band that was a uh completely new experience for me and um even though 25 shows i think we played 25 shows was was a good chunk but i would have loved to uh do more <laughs> just just to even learn more <laughs> or for what was like the the most blissful tour that i'd ever done in so many ways it had such a, a dark ending <laughs> when you know it's like talking about letting the air out of a balloon when you know, on the, the the last night of, of the tour, or the last day of the tour, it, it became clear that that Devin wasn't going to be able to take that band, that full ten piece band, out on the road in in North America, which was the plan. And uh, I just, ugh. Uh, you know, and 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 and, and of course, it, it was just heartbreaking that when we did do the North American tour, it wasn't with you, and it wasn't with. Samantha and and Anne and and Arabella, you know, it was it was it was still a good band, but man, I I, I sure did miss uh, the the whole thing of the ten piece band. It was it, that was such a, a a powerful, you know, it's like I envied the audiences coming to those shows because it it, it had to be kind of mind blowing, uh, and also the presentation of those shows. You know, I totally understand why Devin wasn't able to take that tour in North America with all the staging and the visuals and the screens and the, and the props and the, uh, lender. <laughs> <laughs> Com- 
comparison, the 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 North American tour was totally stripped down. We didn't have any uh, any sort of uh, of staging, like, with the exception of stuffed animals that that Devin uh, asked everyone to bring to the shows, and 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 the the stuffed animals just piled up higher and higher and higher, uh, and and that that became the uh, you know that was the staging. Um, but you know, I was, I'm just tripping on on what it was like at the end of the European tour when when kind of all had the uh, the rug pulled out from under us, and it ended up you know, I'm sure it was much more trying for for you and and I I you know I, I missed you so much. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, you know, for me it was um, I played one more show after the Devon tour, which was with uh, Stickman in Nagoya, Japan. We played a we played a show with. With Gary Husband as a guest, right, and you've released this, right? That you've you've, yep. you've put that recording. Yeah, and we uh, called it Owari, which means the end in Japanese, uh, because it was that one yeah. one show. <laughs> that was, and it was it was a many, little it was a little. How many shows did you have booked? Uh, I can't remember, but maybe eight or something. But originally, it was also to include China, even. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, so and it would have been like fourteen or fifteen shows, and and yeah, so but it re really was a little bit like what happened on the, uh, the, the last night of the Devon tour, because it was really the the day before the the sh that we could play the show that we already knew that it wouldn't continue, because they started the lockdown on a Saturday and the show was Friday night, and and so. Um, it, it was a sold-out show in a in a jazz club, so I think it was like maybe 350 seats or something. But only only 65 people showed up. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, halfway through the the North American tour, where we you know we had, we did two weeks worth of shows and then and then had to uh, you know not do the rest of the shows and just fly home. You know, I, I said to Devin, man, I. I I, sh I sure do love playing live with you, but these tours really do end weird. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I really knew something was wrong when, uh, when I got to Narita Airport in Tokyo, right? Going back to Germany via Helsinki, I think, actually. Um, what, what happened was that the airport was empty. Narita Airport, like one of the busiest airports. Mm -hmm. And it was, it, I think, it, I can't remember what it was. It was like maybe 7th of March or something. So it was pretty early on in the whole process. Mm -hmm. And it was empty. And I knew, okay, something's going on. This is going to take a while. We had a whole, you know, it's it it, like it was clearly the right thing to do. But we, we had like extensive band meetings on, I guess it was March 12th, which was, uh, you know, that was that was the day that, that Trump had a, the 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 address where he said that all the the travel uh, between U.S. and Europe was going to be highly regulated or shut down, um, and you know it was in some ways it was a less trying situation for for me and one or two others who lived in the states because you know all we had to do was find our way home within the country we were in the, the u.s at the time so um, that that was you know we had it easy the majority the vast majority of people on the, the in the whole organization band and and crew 
lived in other countries and, and it was a real concern. How do we get, how does everybody get home? Um, so, you know, once we decided that, okay, we are going to, we are going to pull the plug on the tour, which, you know, this is the same conversation that every other touring band was having that night. Um, then Paul Collis just got on the phone and started booking flights like crazy. I mean, it, within, within like six hours of that conversation where we made the determination that we were not going to tour anymore. Uh, I was on a, I was on a plane headed home. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but I know that there were other people in the organization that took them quite a while to get. But we had like a, a really serious conversation where different people in the organization were were like presenting their their feelings about it all, and, and you can get theoretical about it. But when it's a when it's a health situation that that you just don't understand, it was that it was Nathan, it was Nathan Navarro who who like stated in the in the plainest terms i think it would be wrong to keep playing shows because at that time it was yet you know it was the very beginning of the situation we had yet to arrive at that what is now you know wisdom hopefully that we all share which is that it doesn't make sense to be in a in a small enclosed space with a whole bunch of other people mm-hmm. um so you know now when i think back on it you wonder how much how much super spreading we were responsible for and 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 also you know Devin was sick that entire tour you know and I, I i felt ill when i got home it's quite possible we all had it um it's like i didn't i didn't get tested for for weeks afterward so i i, I have no idea whether or not I, I had it at the time as for antibodies i just i was infected um Things changed so so rapidly, so quickly. That, you know, when when we were trying to determine whether or not to do the tour, it was it, it was easy to to think, oh, this will blow over. Yeah, I mean, it, it's and and you have to like let go of the the very sort of the the mundane financial aspects of it. But, the, but that was like really hard for for several people on the on the crew who were like really counting on this money. So to like uh, go home and not do the rest of the tour was was a, a tremendous a tremendous uh, blow for them. It was just bad news. So, but again, that was just the very beginning of the whole thing and we didn't really know what we were contending with with yeah. all of this. Yeah, and uh, I remember that you, uh, you did the GoFundMe um, pretty early on in the process, right? Once you realized that your 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 livelihood was uh, in danger, right? And I, I did the same. I think we were all maybe like uh, 24 hours between launching the, our campaigns. And it felt as though, uh, and then and then Devin ended up doing it the, the, like a few days later. And I kind of felt like a little bit of a trailblazer there because <laughs> I, I, I saw you post. Because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I I was was conflicted about it you know it was it was basically my my wife who who like made me look at it because when i when i got home i was like i was very still in a state of disbelief and and i am i'm definitely like optimistic by nature so i was like just kind of thinking oh we'll figure it out we'll get by we'll get through this but i had no plan and and she's like we need a plan, and and it's and it's got to be based around you being able to record at home. You know, she she was saw that more plainly than I did, and uh, and then it's like 
you, you look at the at the, the savings account, which is none too impressive, and you're like, well, I don't know how I'm going to do that. And she said, well, check out GoFundMe, see what you think of that. And you know, any performing artist, especially one who's been doing it for a long time, uh, I think that there's a, a natural inclination to want to present uh, this kind of indestructible, uh, you know, got everything under control thing, and you don't ever want to like share with the world hey there's like real financial concerns here and help me you know like it it, it it's uh, that's a humbling thing but what was really humbling was how instantaneous the response was you know it's it's like and sarah and i spent hours trying to figure out what's what's the minimum amount of, of money that that i need in order to have a, a, a working system because my my laptop was nine years old. I definitely needed a new computer, and I had to have a certain amount of power in order to to be reliable as as a, you know a, a Pro Tools engine. Um, and you know, and I needed a, an interface, and I needed speakers, and and just we we tried to prepare it down to the absolute minimum, and ask for that much money. And within a day, the it was doubled, and and it was clear that people were actually grateful to be able to help. And and that is, I'm like profoundly, well, profoundly grateful and humbled by that. And and every time I sit down here at the rig uh, and prepare to work, it's it's like it, it 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 stays with me that this wouldn't exist if it weren't for the fact of, of people being so kind and, and supportive. So I'm I'm endlessly grateful. Yes, uh, same same for me. And uh, I think the the lesson that. Um we were taught by that somehow. I find this interesting in the context of the music business, right? Like, imagine you would have to make like ten thousand uh, dollars by selling a an album. Like, how much effort that would take, and money, and, and how long it would take to make that kind of money. And there you are, and you're just like open, and you say, okay, this is the situation. Um, can you help me? And it's basically, it is your fans. It's the same people that would buy your recording, right? And so, like you said, in 24 hours, uh, you know, people will, will be able to raise that kind of money for you and help you. And I think that's really a sign that something is extremely off or has always been off with the music business. That you see, like, the, uh, the, uh, the support that is available. Like, you know, I mean, why not... You know, ask your fans, okay, like give me, you know, maybe 10,000 is not enough, but let's just say give me, give me 10,000 once per year, okay, and I'll be fine. If some, if it would work, like, and I can work and I'll give you music, you know, and, well, that's and how I'm viewing Patreon. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it is a tremendous platform. And, but what's also nice about Patreon is that it's content driven. I'm like, it, it's, it's, it's not just me asking for help, which I was, I, I felt I had no choice but to do. With the GoFundMe, and and that I was I was you know again very very grateful that that the response was lovely. But what is what I've been really enjoying about Patreon is that there's it's it's a it's a multi-tiered platform where you can put audio, you can put video, you can put writing, you uh, you know scans of, of, of different paperwork in the archives. You can have uh, you know, chats like once or twice a month uh, through Crowdcast, which is linked up with. With Patreon, uh, I, I have like two-hour streams where it, it's it's you know just live interacting with with, with Patreon subscribers. I've been uh, 
going into the uh, the multi tracks of my early solo albums and, and just like diving into Pro Tools sessions live while people are watching and you know just like really investigating all the stuff that's in those tracks and and uh, I've been showing off my record collection. You know, people like are interested to see what records are in my collection. It's really just it's a it's a platform to share everything about yourself and the people who are there are only there because they're interested in you and and i think that's like the, the thing that's really distinct about a, a, a platform like patreon as opposed to posting on facebook where you're, you're you know you put up your video or your song or whatever on facebook and you are you are doing battle with everything else that's on everybody's feed uh you know it's just a thing that they scroll by and you're one voice among thousands Whereas with uh, with Patreon, this is a, a little corner of, of the internet that's that's just me, and I'm crafting it exactly. You know, I'm I'm choosing what stuff to post, what stuff to share from the past or the present, uh, and and it's it's great fun, and it's and it is like having a, a measurable, positive impact on my on my livelihood. It's you know, it's allowing me to pay the rent. So it it, it it's like it's. So given that you can no longer expect to sell an album to anyone, you are forced to to figure out other ways. Especially when when circumstances force you off the road and and you can't do gigs, which you know people like you and I, that's that's the only way we make money off of music is is is, is gigging, and and that's the only that's the only it, it's it's not a, a sustainable. Uh, archetype you know uh, i'm 59 uh, so in no time at all i'm gonna be 69 and then 79 you know it's like you see this is why you see artists going out there and being propped up you know you, you know that bb king did did tours a, a good two three years longer than he should have in terms of what his body was was built to withstand but you if, if you haven't figured out some other way to 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 keep your your life afloat, you're you're stuck. You know, you 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 have no choice. So I am like I consider myself very very fortunate, even with all the trials of the last year and what a strange uh, and, and in a lot of ways truly horrible situation that we're in right now. Um, it ha- it forced my hand. It, it forced me to become more self sufficient. Um, and it, it forced me to, to figure out ways to support myself that don't involve live work. Having said that, I can't wait until it is possible to start doing gigs again. But I don't, I don't, uh, I don't try to delude myself into thinking that it's ever going to go back to the way it was. You know, it's, it's. I, I, I think slowly after, over the course of you know ten, eleven now. Um, you you have to come to the realization that you know things have changed, and I just have no idea what what the world is going to have in store for us. You know, post all of this, once you know we're all hopefully vaccinated and and able to interact freely with with one another again. But things have changed. Uh, but I do know that the feeling of that first gig back is going to be so incredibly powerful. You know, it's, and, and I haven't. Every once in a while, someone gets in touch asking me if I want to be involved with some socially distant live performance thing. And I'm, I, you know, if anybody, any venue, and venues are really having a horrible time with it right now, any venue that, that figures out a way to do that safely, 
then you know that's that's fine. But I'm I'm not ready to go there. I'm I'm like still locked down. <laughs> I'm not I'm not in a hurry to to try to get back into gigging uh, like one second sooner than it, it feels right to me to do so. So I, I'm not going to mess with my own comfort level and, and injure my wife's health or, or anything just just to do a gig. But when we get to that point where we can feel truly confident that doing gigs is 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 going to be cool uh that's just going to be an insane vibe in that room man <laughs> it's going to be unbelievable i think you know like my my biggest fear um is that uh what is what is happening at the moment is sort of like a generational change that we have that is not organic right it, uh, well, in the the way that it used to be like you had a club and you had somebody running the club and you had a, a person booking booking the bands and 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 like things were like if there was like a new guy then it would get handed over somehow like you had still had the same list of people you would contact or be in contact with and and uh, i feel that there's going to be Like I'm, I'm even concerned about like just like, like with Tony Levin, for example. Like he's he's 75 or something, right? And we've been playing together for 11 years now, and um, and I know that he's 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 in you know he's very very healthy, but still, yeah. I mean, like it's it's about like the um, the fact that you 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 you're you're kind of like uh, not able to follow the path that you were on. So in a way, like even at a at an advanced age, you're uh, forced to sort of like reinvent your life somehow, mm -hmm. even if it doesn't involve like having to uh, find another way of income. You know, it's not necessarily just about that, but just just the fact of being being at home with your wife twenty four seven, for example, right? And uh, what I'm what I'm fearing, I'm sorry, the, the fact that that so many uh, couples and families don't have like a harmonious relationship. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm very fortunate that my wife and I get along, and, and uh, having seen you with your family, I know that 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 you're all pals. Mm -hmm. um, but it is it it is all of a sudden being forced into this uh, this enforced closeness every you know every hour of every day is is trying for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just I just hope that um, whatever like even the word post COVID, I don't think there is a post. There, uh, no, anyway, it, it's just it's always with you know it's with COVID. It's accommodating and somehow or trying to yeah. Mm. Now, Tony and and uh, you know last <laughs> funny when we all went off the road in March of last year and. Uh, The, the the canceled uh, Devon dates, the dates we weren't able to do in North America, were, were rescheduled for September 2020, and that felt like so far in the future. It's like, oh sure, everything will be fine by then. And now, you know, I'm like, I think it's optimistic to think that we'll be able to do gigs in September of this year, and uh, and uh, we had to, to cancel or postpone the tour that we were going to be doing the Zappa Band. Which is basically the band that that did the hologram tour, but without holograms. So it's it, the Zappa band were supposed to open for King Crimson last summer, um, which I was you know very excited about you know, for any number of reasons, uh, and and so they rescheduled that for precisely one year later, uh, which is you know June and July of this year. I, I 
I can't see how that's going to happen. That's it's it's just too soon. And like you say, you know, Tony's seventy five. Uh, there's uh, I'm not sure how old Robert is, but it's it at some point it's not going to be feasible for them to continue postponing a tour. You know, yeah, it's, it's it's scary. It's and it's very strange. In uh, around 2016, uh, when we were playing, Stickman was playing St. Louis, uh, we, we stayed at a hotel there in St. Louis, and next morning when the, uh, we used the valet parking for the, for the truck, uh, and we had the, the gear in the truck, and we had packed our, our pedal boards were under the drum kit, right, and stuff like that, and we, you know, the uh, truck was returned to us, with the door was the door was open, right? Like there was, and so we could right sit or go, you know. But anyway, like three hours later, when we uh, had a pee break, and we got out of the van, and we realized that the truck had been broken into. And um, so the reason why I'm telling you this is, um, so I had a I had a like like a handmade pedal board which was worth like maybe six thousand dollars or something, and Tony's. Same kind of value was also gone. They didn't take the drums. <laughs> the drums. They only took the guitar stuff. Remove the drums in order to get. To them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but but anyway, like what 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 was so fascinating is that um, a friend and supporter of mine. He back then he set up a GoFundMe just for fans to to help me replace the pedal board, and it was kind of like the same thing overnight. That those six thousand uh, dollars. Yeah. came together yeah. and so um, the reason why I say this is that I think this model that we're like sort of like like this more self uh, um, you could say it's more with more self-confidence more self-contained more self-driven more self everything and um, and also more directly tr- uh, communicating with the fans really is is the right thing to do even and especially in this situation right now and we, we shouldn't and you said that Patreon is a good is a good tool for you. Um, and with Patreon, though, I was I was wondering because um, I was looking at their pricing, right? So um, so how does that how does that work? Does, does it feel okay at the share they take? Yeah. Well. Uh, oh, that the share that that Patreon takes. Yeah. yeah cons- considering the the service that that's being offered, I'm I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I'm I also have about 180 patrons at this point so it's 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 a significant enough amount that that even after patreon takes its cut and you know there's there's there is no there's no patreon friday <laughs> like at Bandcamp, but but uh you know but it still turns into a a, a thing where it, it's it's basically you know covering the, the majority of my rent every month uh and i'm not you know there's nothing else like patreon uh, you know, I guess you know, OnlyFans or something. But but in in terms of the the same way Patreon, the same way that Bandcamp is has become, and you were like the first person to like really sit me down and say you need to take Bandcamp seriously. And you know, and I'm I'm working with this producer Scott Shore. Uh, you have this this group together MFTJ that only exists as a as a Bandcamp uh, recording uh, unit, and uh, and I. You know, I'm sold on Bandcamp, and when I when I finish my next album, which will be in, in a few months, that'll be available on Bandcamp. Uh, the whole catalog will be available on Bandcamp. I am going to do, you know, precisely what what you suggested. I, I see the value in it because 
Bandcamp has become the place where people who want to support artists will will congregate. You know, it's it's it. There's there's it's no longer just a service; it's a community. And uh, and I and you know, it's it's like so you've got Spotify on one hand, and you've got you know Bandcamp at at, at the opposite extreme. And and Bandcamp, I think, is like real smart about the way they they uh, they sort of market the service. And I think Bandcamp Friday is really intelligent, uh, you know. And obviously, it's a blessing for the artists. And I and I personally find that that, that Patreon is the same thing. Uh, that it's it's a it's a community, it's a vibe, it's a it's a place on the on the the internet that it's unlike any, anything else. Uh, you know, when you go to you know how it is when you go to Facebook, it, Facebook has a feel. Bandcamp has a feel. Patreon has a feel. I like the way Patreon feels. It makes me feel good. Good, good. To, to create an environment there, to to share things. Last night I shared a bunch of drawings that I did in, uh, about twenty years ago, and it, it makes me happy to see the response to that. You know, but I wouldn't just I wouldn't necessarily do that in any other context. But it's it's just a it's a it's a location where you can kind of just decorate it to to your liking and. And it's and it's just you. It's just it's it's your it's your little world that you get to create there. So I like it a lot. Yeah, I I have been one of the early adopters on on Bandcamp. Um, 2009, 2010, I think I started using it. Yeah. And so um, just just because, right? I'm telling you this. Um, I've been very closely uh, also following the development of that of that tool, of that website, right, of that service. And um, in recently, so starting last year, some changes were made under the hood, which sort of make me worry a little bit. Hey. It's, it's really things that, that uh, most people don't see because they don't use it enough, right? Mm -hmm. But I use it enough. So, for example, only a few weeks ago, I was still able to upload a podcast like the thing that we're doing right here onto Bandcamp and put a link into the about field of the album to a YouTube video that has the same conversation in it. So when that's suddenly overnight and it doesn't say anywhere, it doesn't, you know, you can't read that anywhere. At least I didn't look for it. Let's just put it that way. You can't put links to YouTube into uh, the about text only. So, and it's little details like this that have been, that have been sneaking in since last year. So for example, it, uh, the big plus of Bandcamp is that it has a, a sort of like a built-in uh, newsletter. So because people get automatically signed up to your content when they buy something, right? They can opt in to get, to, to get uh, notifications when you put a, a new album out. So, but then there was a point, there was one release where I forgot to make, it was only a one-track release, and I was thinking, okay, do I want to make this track uh, available for streaming or not? And I did not make it available for streaming. It turns out, if you don't have one of the tracks on your album streamable, they are not, they're not sending out notifications. Haha, <laughs> I got it. So because it was a one-track thing, in other words, if, if you just put out one song, which is one of, to me one of the appealing things about Bandcamp, is that it, 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 the idea of it is just like an ongoing archive. I've just finished a song, I'm going to put it up on Bandcamp. So, but you're saying you're forced to make it available, it's streaming in its entirety? Yes. You can't even just like do the 30-second clip, it has to be the whole song? 
Um, you could do you could do that, yeah, but that would be like a second track that you would have to upload, right? It's you can't have a preview uh, unless you're uploading the excerpt of the track as a second track, right? But 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 anyway, what was what I found so bad about that is that I wasn't I didn't know nobody was telling me at the moment where I was pushing like uh, public or uh, publicize or whatever it says. Um, it could have said, okay, are you sure you don't want to stream? Because if you don't stream it, then it, you, your people won't get notified. And then obviously I would have uh, made it available for streaming because it was, a, it was a loss of a couple hundred euros, which I, I would, would have gotten if my people had, had been notified, right? And, right. and it's, it's these little changes to the system which kind of like makes me makes me think that something is uh, they're working on something uh bigger or and they have just they have just uh, introduced this feature that you can sell live shows like streaming shows on Bandcamp mm-hmm. and and I I opted in there also as a as an early uh beta tester or whatever it is and I'm going to I'm going to try that soon also to see how that mm-hmm. goes did you get involved in the uh, the Bandcamp on vinyl uh, program? Not yet, no. And I think that's a by invitation only thing. Uh, uh, like yeah, I mean, I, I it is available. I, I think I opted in for that a while ago, and it it is an option. But I've never done a, a vinyl production via their service. I'm very intrigued by that because I've never released one of my albums on vinyl, and and it's it, it's always been a, a financial choice, you know, because there's there's. You know, my 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 following is 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 loyal, but they are not uh, legion. <laughs> there are, there's not there's not a whole bunch of them, and 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 uh, and vinyl is is expensive to produce. Uh, so I, I'm intrigued by the Bandcamp on vinyl program. Uh, if I do get involved with Bandcamp, which I still intend to do, even with the with the with the caveats. You know, it's still it's still the best thing out there. I'm not saying you know it's 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 a real blessing, but yeah. I'm just just saying there's there's some things and like the like for example the Bandcamp Fridays are great. Yes, they mm-hmm. are great, but at the same time, like the attention econ- economy, right? Like everything is kind of like you know it's focused on that one day of the month, and then, right. then uh, people who are friends like you and I, we were both in Bandcamp. And we would be both releasing stuff on that on that Bandcamp Friday, and like maybe the fans that are fans of both of our music, they would have to decide, right? And we sort of get into some sort of competition um, just because that window is uh, artificially being created, and um, yeah. I don't know if there's any way around that because I don't see them adding more <laughs> more days. <laughs> to, no. I don't make sense for no. No, and I, I'm not complaining. It's just I think it's just important that we keep uh, observing what's going on, um, just to make sure we're we're sort of like uh, uh, maybe a little bit ahead of the curve, um, just to make sure we're we're not falling off the table backwards. You know, like yeah, uh, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it, it does, and it's and it's a challenge, especially for someone who's not. Uh, oriented you know i'm 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 still like really kind of dazed by technology it's 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 required in order to do what 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 we do but it's not my comfort zone and uh it went when, when i set up this this rig and you know the the learning curve of, of just becoming you know 
learning how to use the interface properly and running Pro Tools by myself and then getting the Patreon account off the ground. It took it took me several months, you know, just just to just to really wrap my head around what was required to do Patreon properly. I still do it in a kind of eccentric way compared to the the way I see other people doing it. One one of the things that I do on Patreon that that I'm really happy about, because um, it's 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 built in the 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 tiered system is is built into Patreon, where different different you you offer different uh, degrees of access. Or at least this is ostensibly the way it works. You offer different degrees of access depending on how much people, uh, you know, the the size of someone's uh, patronage, um, and but. Sarah was doing research on different artists doing Patreon, and she found that several artists made all the same content available at at all the different tiers. So, like for instance, on which I've adopted, so I I have a a five dollar a month level, ten dollar a month, twenty five fifty, and then there's there's a a, a much higher level which is different because uh, that's that also involves a, a one on one uh, streaming session of some kind once a month. Um, so it's really kind of four basic tiers of of all different dollar amounts, but everybody who subscribes at that level gets access to all the same stuff. And it's like I'm not going to deny you access to this song I want to post just because you can only afford to give me five dollars a month. I think it's miraculous that somebody wants to give me five dollars a month. That's sixty dollars a year. That's a lot of money. So you know, as far as I'm concerned, the the person who joins at that level deserves the same access as the person who joins who can afford and wants to give that that degree of support to join at $50 a month and I don't think that the people who who join at the $50 level feel ripped off that there are people at the $5 level who are gaining access to the same stuff because you know similar to the GoFundMe I don't think any very few of the people who are who are subscribed to my Patreon are there just because they want to get stuff, they're there because they want to support me. That's 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 the nature of the relationship at this point, yeah. and I'm so grateful for that. And it's the kind of thing that, like, just in, in while the you know the the, the standard conventional music industry uh, channels continue to just like go down the tubes in terms of you know what it has to offer an artist who are responsible for the industry because they provide the content that makes the industry go. And yet, somehow, they're always last in line when when the uh, when the money's being handed out. Uh, you you have no choice really now, but nowadays, but to to find new ways to to get out there. You know, it's it's no thing. It's not the '70s anymore. You don't just put out a record and, and make a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's why I mentioned the uh, the pedalboard incident, right? And that's why. We were talking about the GoFundMe's we did and about Patreon, and I have a, I have a Bandcamp VIP, which is sort of like a subscription thing. So like people sign up and they get everything, and it's sort of like the same thing there. I've I've two tiers, um, but basically the the second tier is just is just like oh you pay more, like you pay more but you get the same. Thing. And it's just it, it's just this this uh, way of, for people of sh uh, to show their appreciation really, and and their willingness to support and and that really is. It's interesting if we say that it is sort of like the new the new uh, um, paradigm, right? Like in a way, but it's it's sort of the old paradigm, like the the patronage. So, yeah. <laughs> 
That's what, what, yeah, exactly. Um, and there's something kind of lovely and pure about it. You know, it, it seems to take some of the the uh, the grimier aspects of commerce out of it, and it turns into more of a, of a human interaction. Um, and it's, and it, it's it's kind of lovely. Yeah, it's it's all, it's more musical. Like there's no there's no uh, middleman. You know, it's less less of a uh, uh, there's no gatekeeper really. And right. uh, and I, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, it's like in ears as opposed to wedges. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so what what's do you have dreams for your future? Like let's not let's not think or talk about COVID for a moment, and let's just freely associate or and uh, get ideas for the future. What what do you wish for yourself? Let's say to start with. I have. I mean, when you said dream, I got. I instantly got a very specific vision in my head, which is. I guess you could kind of look at it as as what would be my version of of what our tour with Devon was. You know that 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 larger band, with some really nice staging and just a, an overall kind of conceptual thrust. To it. And, you know, I've got whatever, however many albums I've done at this point, over thirty. Uh, a large body of music and I have my band uh, Beer for Dolphins who are beautiful wonderful people who have d done so much for me so much support um, and I but there's there's never like uh, the the money for extended amounts of rehearsal to to like uh, do more involved uh, live performance uh, the amount of time and preparation required to do a, 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 a more large-scale tour has, to this moment in my life, not not been there. So, my dream, I guess, would be to like find a way to to sustain this this feeling of of, of self-support, um, which is not self-support. It's 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 reliant upon the the support of the people who who enjoy the music and enjoy the the you know just sort of like the overall project that I've been piecing together for for decades now. Um, so I don't have any any plans in mind, uh, but I that's that's my dream is is to put together a a, a wonderful tour that maybe you know plays some some nice theaters where it, it sounds really good but not too not too big where there's no no chance of filling it you know just like i'd like to, i'd like to be able to you know pump up my my career status to the point where you know i could i could play a nice small theater and and rely on the, the fact that yeah enough people will come so that it won't be a disaster um and and just like present my music in in a way that's not as you know, just sort of like gorilla uh you know there's just like the the hard hit at the on the nightclub level but you know just like a slightly more elevated presentation and beyond that i'm just going to keep making albums you know i haven't put out an album since 2016 so right now i have a lot of album energy i'm like very i'm like jazzed and and worked up to get my album finished and i don't I'm, I'm doing so many other people's uh, projects, um, which again is the best problem to have. Uh, but I, I, I uh, I'm just like eager. <laughs> so, uh, 
right now I'm doing this project for a, a composer named uh, Bear McCreary, and it's and it's it's got me very very occupied, and uh, I should have my stuff done on it by the end of this month. So, starting next month, I'm, I'm moving my my new album up to the top of the stack, and I'm I'm going to work very hard to to complete that, and I, I think it's going to be. I mean, I, I, I'm still like just seeing the pieces come together right now and, and, and seeing where it's heading. And, and I think it's, it's going to be something. Uh, certainly people who are already into what I'm doing are, are going to enjoy the album. And, uh, and I don't have any, any particular fantasies about reaching a huge audience uh, with it. But I, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. <laughs> But to answer your question, the fantasy of is, is that really nice sort of elegantly produced live performance with a larger band because there's so many songs I can't do. On my very first album, Pat, there's this 14-minute piece called Lightning Roy, which is a completely absurd piece of music. And it, 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 I would need five guitar players to do it uh, the way it is on the record. Uh, and I have like this little fantasy that at some point I'll, I would put together uh, an ensemble that is able to present this music the way it was created. Um, we'll see. What about you? What's your fantasy? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> it's a very good question. I um, I started playing with a couple uh, guys uh, in, two, in 2019. Uh, Fabio uh, Trentini on bass and myself, Circus on drums, and we did a trio album called Truce. Which is sort of like a solo album of mine. Which what I've heard of it is is just beautiful. I mean, I I, I need to experience the whole album, uh, but it, that's it does real achievement. That's a great album. Yeah, and that feels like I would really because that album was such a surprise to all of us. Just and also like it was my first guitar album, the first album where I uh, I I appear as a soloist like in a in a uh, on a grander scale let's say right and so it was was something that Leonardo Pavkovich almost had to uh, uh, force me to do <laughs> and so I, I'm really curious I would like to continue playing with those guys and to see where that goes because I, I have to say that what really still drives me the most is like asking myself the question what if like what if I do this what if I uh, what if uh, you know, I, I, I not like I said, like, what if we do 150 shows and not 25? Like, how tight will the band get, right? That's that's kind of what's driving me. Yeah, the the what 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 can be done? What is possible? Yes, and that's uh, sort of the ongoing thing. That's why I can't imagine ever getting tired of music because I think that what if will always exist. Yeah, is the is the project with Todd Rundgren still? Uh, it is. That's that's like firmly in my in my the in my court at this point because I have to complete uh, my composition for it, mm -hmm. and it's kind of funny. This is similar to what you were saying uh, about you know you'd think oh, all this time to create you would just automatically be creative. Uh, with with me, it's like yeah, I'm 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 here. I'm locked locked down at home. I should be able to apportion my time and say okay, this much of of each day I will devote to continuing to. To work on on my compositional side of the the Rundgren project, it just doesn't happen because creating is not just time; it's also energy. So if if, if I'm pouring all of my energy into any number of other projects, I can't just say, okay, so uh, it's it's six thirty time to write for Todd. You know, it, uh, I really need to to like clear enough other stuff off of my my 
plate uh, to make room to like, put myself there. So, because what it is, it's it's seventeen tunes that I that I basically have to write and then give that music to Todd, and then Todd will take it from there. He'll he'll uh, elaborate and write lyrics and manipulate and whatnot. Um, and and also now that I I was prior to the pandemic, I had written I think uh, nine of the pieces. And uh, and I didn't have a, a, a recording rig at home, so I was just coming up with these like kind of not very inspiring sounding uh, MIDI tracks that uh, that my uh, Muse score uh, notation program was 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 putting out. Um, now that I'm able to record at home and I have access to some sound libraries and stuff, I want to revisit everything that I've already written and basically record my versions of, of what I've written heretofore. And then I have to continue and, you know, do the second half of the composition that's required. So it's a, it's a lot of work, and there's no money up front. You know, it's it's not the project where I'm, I'm being funded. So it's you know the, that's the reality of why I haven't been able to finish my my solo album, which I thought was going to come out you know last year. It's it's because I have to work to support myself, and and I have to take paying jobs. And uh, and so the Todd thing eventually will result in, in some kind of income once it's actually staged but at, at, at this point in the in the collaboration it's it's sort of like uh, um, you know it's, it's pro bono <laughs> it's, so, an, it's an investment like anything you do for it is an investment yeah and and of course I want to I want to have this this project I'm, I, I'm a huge Todd Rundgren fan his music was enormous to me when I was when I was growing up and and he's like still like a, a, a couple years ago I saw him in New York and I couldn't believe how well he was singing you know it's like better than ever before I saw him afterwards and I said it doesn't make sense how good you're singing and he goes I know it doesn't make sense to me either <laughs> you know uh, so he's in a in a really good spot as a performer right now and I'm very excited to be doing this collaboration with him and uh, and I feel a little bit abashed that it's it's taking me so long to finish my end of the thing mm -hmm. but it's, it's just a reality. If, you, if you're not being funded, it, it's hard to, to carve out the time to do the work. Um, the way I see it right now, I mean, I, I, I have a list of projects. That there's, there's several bands that I'm involved in that I, I, I want to move our music forward. Uh, and then I've got my album to do. Uh, I feel like once I, I make that progress, I'll be able to, like, probably around April... I'll be able to uh, to like reinvest my my energy and time into the Todd project. Good. So was it was was it uh, an interesting conversation where not even once did we uh, utter the words Frank Zappa? <laughs> I think I might have mentioned it. Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe I just said Zappa and not Frank. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's. I, I don't mind a, a little variety in life. <laughs> I've, and I've done a couple of interviews that were like ex extremely uh, Zappa focused. So, uh, so yeah, uh, cheers. <laughs> yeah, cheers. <laughs> yeah, Mike, I, uh, I wish you all the best and let's, let's see um, what, what this year will bring. And, um, yeah, I'm I'm in the I'm in the process of reinventing myself, not knowing what that means really, and not knowing where that's going, and just kind of like uh, 
because you asked me about my dreams as well, and I don't, I wouldn't say that I, I have a dream really, but um, I, it turns out that I'm much more of a, of a people person than I, than it, I ever felt, right? Like I, Probably. you know, like I was always very happy to be alone and, and just, and it turn, turns out that I've become such an important person for many people, connecting so many people. And I know many couples that, uh, you know, know each that came, you know, that met because of me and like, like all these things is crazy for me because I, I never really wanted any of that. Um, but I, I want to, you know, just try to embrace uh, a little bit of that and be open to uh, uh, just be more social, let's say. And it's funny because it's the it's this time of social distancing where where I'm realizing that uh, it's actually important for me to uh, communicate. You know, I mean, I being on the road with you and in that in that environment with that large band. Um, cause I always had, you know, I hadn't met you and I, I kind of, it, it, it's easy to form impressions of people that you haven't met. And I always thought of you as a very serious artist. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, uh, and, and so to, to get on the bus with that band and to see you just joyous, you know, just, just like really enjoying the, the social aspect of being with these wonderful people. Cause it's a beautiful band. Everybody in the band is a wonderful person. That's that's my other fantasy is that somehow Devin Land budget so that we can bring that band on the road again. That would be fucking. But, uh, you know, I I that was a real pleasure for me. It was a wonderful pleasure to meet you and and have you know some of my preconceptions about the sort of you know, person and artist you were uh, subverted because it, it was a very social experience and, and and you're right, especially now when being able to freely interact is, is, is such a, a challenge. Uh, it's a very important connection to other people. It's very, very important. And I, I see you have a drawing of, of, my, of me on the wall there behind you. <laughs> That's Scambot. And, and uh, yeah, I guess he is actually... Uh, I didn't realize just how much he was based on you, but I, that was one of the things he just snuck into my... Into my my process without me even realizing it. <laughs> okay, thank you, Mike. Um, but one last thing, you you mentioned that you're you're working for uh, for Bear McCreary, right? And because I I I asked uh, some of my friends and fans a couple of days ago which people I should have on the podcast, and somebody mentioned Bear, so. Uh, maybe uh, you could give me his email and I can write to him. I'll put in a word. I know he's very busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I can do. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you, my friend. Yeah. See you soon. Bye.